All right. Well, we've been talking about uh, discipleship, and uh, I'm going to read you this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Uh, what he's saying, when, when Bonhoeffer says this, what he's saying really is that uh, Jesus is alive. Uh, there, the Christ is the living Christ. He's not just some historic figure from the past. He is alive. He, he was raised from the dead. He is alive now. And by his spirit, he wants to live in you. And that is the essential piece of discipleship. You, you cannot be discipled apart from connection and abiding in him. You can't be a disciple apart from the living Christ. And, and where there is, quote unquote, Christianity that does not engage the presence of the living God, the presence of the living Christ, uh, there's not really discipleship. And so where there is that engagement, there will be discipleship. Uh, I want to read today from John 15, uh, beginning at verse 1, uh, where Jesus talks about uh, what this discipleship that he's calling us into looks like. Uh, so beginning at verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown and thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. I can remember when I was a kid and... and uh, uh, we were a church-going family, not necessarily a Christian family, but we were a church-going family. And so I, you know, I, I heard the gospel preached when I was a child, and I, and I kind of knew what it meant. 
but I didn't completely understand it because I had in my mind this idea that Jesus' purpose was to ruin my life. Uh, that was his goal because he didn't want me to ever have any fun. And I understood, you know, my understanding as a young child of what it meant to follow Jesus was, oh boy, you don't ever get to fun, do any fun stuff ever again. You know, all the fun stuff is banned and you just are caught into a life of, of boredom. That's really what I thought. And I thought, Maybe when I'm 30 and too old to have fun, uh, I'll make that decision. Uh, but right now, I mean, I'm 12, I'm 13, I'm 14, uh, not ready to give up fun yet, and so I'm, I'm going to say no to that. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus says it right there. He says, the reason that I want you to be in me is because I want your joy to be full. Did you see that? I want your joy to be full. Uh, Mike Iancanelli was a guy, he was a pastor um, and an author. He's one of my favorite authors. He passed away in a car wreck in 2003. He was only 61, uh, way, too, way too young. Uh, but he used to talk about his church. He pastored a church in, in California, and he, he called it the slowest growing church in the world. Uh, but he loved those people and pastored those people. But I, I loved him as an author. And I want to read to you something that, uh, something he wrote goes like this. Every day, I want to be in the... Every day, I want to be in the dangerous proximity to Jesus. I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is tilled with adventure, wonder, risk, and danger. I long for a faith that is gloriously treacherous, I want to be with Jesus, not knowing whether to cry or laugh. The critical issue today is dullness. We've lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news, it's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing, it's life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He makes them into nice people. If Christianity is about being nice, I'm not interested. I'm ready for a Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart and makes me uncomfortable. I want to be dangerous to a dull and boring religion. The greatest enemy of Christianity may be people who say they believe in Jesus, but who are no longer astonished and amazed. We've forgotten how to dance, how to sing, and how to laugh. We've allowed technology to beat our imaginations into submission and have become tourists rather than travelers. We've been stunted by mediocrity. Our world is populated with domesticated grown-ups who would rather settle for safe, predictable answers instead of wild, unpredictable mystery. Faith has been reduced to a comfortable system of beliefs about God instead of an uncomfortable encounter with God. I want to talk about discipleship, but I, I want you to understand that uh, uh, what, I'm going to, what I'm going to say today is probably not going to, it's not going to be exciting. Uh, you're probably not going to run out the door saying, I can't wait to do that. But I will promise you this, 
If you do what I say today, it will change your life forever, forever. The word disciple occurs in the New Testament 269 times. 269 times. The word Christian, which we more readily migrate towards, uh, occurs in the Bible three times. Disciple, 269 times in the New Testament, Christian three times. And the problem is that today there are a whole lot of people who would call themselves Christians who are not and, and actually would not consider themselves disciples. But the church is meant to be a body of disciples. A body of disciples. Jesus said, come follow me. He didn't say, just believe. He said, come follow me. Go with me where I'm going. Do what I'm doing. Live the way I live. Alan Hirsch said, you can create a stronger movement with 12 disciples than 1,200 consumers. The problem with the church today is it's, it's filled up with consumers. People that are just looking for a product rather than a mission. Discipleship, as we said last week, is a lifelong process. It's not a program that you go through in six months and get a diploma at the end. It's not anything like that. It is a lifelong process. This is the reason it's a lifelong process because it takes forever. It takes forever. It takes forever because God is infinite. He never runs out. He he has more and more and more and more for you. More that he wants to teach you, more that he wants to impart into you, more than that he wants to do to you, in you, and through you. He never runs out. It is a lifelong process process. Dallas Willard said, a disciple is someone who desires above all else to be like Jesus. A disciple is someone who who desires above all else to be like Christ. Not to have the security of knowing that your sins are forgiven and you get to go to heaven when you die. but that your desire, your heart's desire in this life right now is to be more like Jesus and that you would trade everything for that even if it held no eternal reward. You'd choose it for now. Paul said, I would trade my own eternity if it meant My people could know him. Discipleship. Last week we said that for Riverstone, discipleship means everyone going in the same direction, not necessarily in the same place, not necessarily at the same pace, but going in the same direction. All of us going towards Jesus. All of us growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Ten years ago, there was a study that was done on church growth, and it was called the Eastbourne Consultation. Uh, One of their conclusions was this. As we face the new millennium, 
We acknowledge that the state of the church is marked by growth without depth. Our zeal to go wider has not been matched by a commitment to go deeper. Our zeal to, go, to grow wider has not been matched by a commitment to go deeper. In other words, our desire when it comes to growth has only been numerical growth. And we haven't matched it with a commitment to go deeper, to really know him as fully and as deeply as he can be known. You know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if your desire to go wider matches your commitment to go deeper unless you believe there's a difference between Judas and Peter. If a disciple is someone who's moving towards Jesus, then what what does that movement look like? What does it look like to move toward him? And, And what does it produce? What fruit does it produce? Because Jesus says in John 15 that if you abide in me, you will produce fruit. And he also says if you don't abide in me, you can't produce fruit. If you do, you will. If you don't, you can't. I think it's fair to say that a mature disciple is someone whose faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Now last week, we talked about repentance and we said that repentance was changing our mind to change your mind, to change direction, to go in a new direction. You hear something, you experience something, uh, you encounter God in a way that causes you to turn and go in a different direction and to live life differently. But it has to bring about change. Repentance, changing direction also changes you. There are changes that take place because you're going in a different direction. Life change occurs. Tozer actually said one time that we were wasting our time praying for revival because it wouldn't come until we were changed. Until the people who call themselves followers, the people who call themselves believers, the people who call themselves disciples, until they start to look different, revival wouldn't come. So what follows repentance? John 15 talks about two things. Jesus talks about abiding and producing. This is what follows repentance. You you turn and you go in a different direction. In that, that direction that you're choosing, that you're going in, is a direction of connection to Jesus. You're saying, you're not just saying, you know, I want to try harder. What you're saying is, I want my life to depend on his life. I want his life in me, and I want that to be the thing that causes me to live or die. It's his life, not my own ability, not my own strength, not my own smarts. I want the body of Christ, I want the spirit of Christ in me, giving me the ability to live. So this producing, this abiding, then produces something. When we stay connected, now the word abiding in the Greek is meno, and it means to continue. It means that you're going to get connected to him and you're going to stay connected to him. 
And the producing, what he produces in you is twofold. He will produce character, his character in you, and he will also do his work through you. And so the fruit that you will see by being connected is that you will be better. You will be more like him inside. You will act more like him outside and people will follow. And so the fruit that will be produced will be fruit inside of you and fruit outside of you. There'll be fruit, the fruit of Christ's character inside of you. And there will be the fruit of multiplied disciples outside of you, people who follow Jesus, who make the choice to go after him because of what they have seen in you, because of the witness of your life and the witness of your testimony. When we turn and go towards Jesus, the expectation is that we will continue in that direction. The expectation of discipleship is not that it will be up and down and back and forth and sometimes hot and sometimes cold. The expectation is that we will go after him and we'll never turn back. Paul talks about leaning towards the goal, that we will run the race to win the race. We don't run the race and then say, oh, I'm not going to run today. We're just going to walk over here for a minute, and then I'm going to come back tomorrow and maybe run some more. It's not supposed to be like that. Now, granted, all of us go through times where we struggle. Life gets in the way, things happen, sometimes we get discouraged, sometimes it feels like things are just piling on, and you may go in a hole. And, and there's probably not a person in this room who hasn't been in what they would call a spiritual desert at some point in their life where they just felt like they weren't growing. I get that. And, and there are times like that, but it really shouldn't be the pattern of your life. The pattern is not supposed to be like this. You know, there may be a dip every now and then, but it shouldn't be the pattern of your life. Inconsistency should not rule the day. The call is to follow, to stay, to abide, to continue abiding and producing fruit. Now, I, I love spiritual disciplines uh, many of you know that about me. Uh, I, I love studying spiritual disciplines. I love engaging in spiritual disciplines. I love the way God meets me in the practice of spiritual disciplines, which have existed in the church for hundreds of years. Uh, people have given themselves to these practices, things like prayer and fasting and studying the word and, and serving, uh, meditation, solitude, uh, giving, confession, all of these uh, are spiritual disciplines. Now, they don't really have a power in and of themselves necessarily. What they do is they put you in the path of encountering God. They're practices that have proven through history to put us in the path of God's grace. And so when you engage in these practices, you are likely to encounter God and be changed by him. And, and I love uh, the study of spiritual disciplines and the practice of spiritual disciplines. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Uh, there are spiritual disciplines that hit me in a way that they would maybe not hit you. And there are disciplines that hit you that hit you in a way that maybe wouldn't hit me. 
because we're wired differently. Uh, one of my favorite spiritual disciplines is solitude. I love being alone. I love sitting in a room by myself, just me and God, for hours. Now, I want you to understand that I love people. I do. I love being with y'all after I've been with him. That's the way I'm wired. I have to have that time. I thrive when I have time in solitude with God. But, but some of you are not like that. Some of you thrive when you're with the group. And that's okay. It's okay. You need to know how you're wired. You need to know what spiritual disciplines really connect with your heart and cause you to grow and cause you to increase. Some of you, it's intercession. And, and if that's the case, you need to find a group of people that you can intercede with. For some of you, it's giving. You need to just give. Don't let 10% be your ceiling. If giving is the thing that makes you come alive, then give. I can promise you, if God has wired you so that generosity is the thing that makes you come alive, he'll, he'll keep giving to you. He, he, you won't run out. So just give. For some of you, it's serving. You just come alive when you serve. For some, it's fasting. You connect deeply with the Lord when you fast. Some of you are wishing that it wasn't fasting. But you need to know what it is. For some, it's worship. You need to know the things that cause you to deeply connect with the Lord. And, and like I said, some of them will be, you know, for you, it may be different than for me because we're made differently. But what I want to mention to you today are three things. Three things that surveys have shown are across the board. Now, I know surveys are not perfect. And I don't put all of my confidence and weight in surveys. But... This is not rocket science. This, this is pretty simple stuff. And if you will pay attention to what I have to say in just the next few minutes, I believe it could radically change your life. So three things. There was a survey, a study actually that was done uh, a few years ago uh, by the transformational, it was called the Transformational Discipleship Assessment, and it was done by Lifeway. And they determined that there were three things that across the board produced fruit in Christians. Produced fruit. And that, you know, that's, that's part of what we're after in discipleship. Uh, Jesus wants us to produce fruit. That's John 15 is all about that. That we are to be connected to him in a way that produces fruit. So the number one thing, the number one thing that produces fruit in you, both inward and outward fruit. Reading the Bible. Read the Bible. Now, granted, there are a couple of different ways you can read the Bible. You can just read it like it's a book. It will still have an impact on your life. It will still change you if you just read it like, like it's a book. Or you can read it like it's communication. If you choose to read the Bible the way it's intended to be read, 
communication from God to you, if you see it that way, this is God speaking to me. And every time you sit down to read the Bible, you prayerfully read, God, speak to me through your book. Tell me what you want me to know. Tell me what you want me to do. And if you read the Bible that way and do what it says, it will change you radically. It will change how you live. And one of the reasons this is so true is because it speaks to every area of our lives. Want to know how to be a better husband? Read the Bible. Want to know how to be a better wife? Read the Bible. Want to know how, better, how to be better parents? Read the Bible. Want to know how to be better children? Read the Bible. Want to know how to be a better boss? Read the Bible. Want to know how to be a better employee? Read the Bible. It's there, y'all. Everything. Everything. He, God didn't forget anything. He didn't forget anything. He didn't leave anything out. He knows how to communicate. And he has given this treasure, this book, that's really alive. And he says, read it. Hear from me. I will speak to you through every page. If you commit yourself to read the Bible and doing what it says, it will change you radically. John 15, 9 says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. What's his number one command? Love God and love each other. Love God and love each other. Read the Bible, it'll tell you how to love. One of the things it will tell you about love is how to forgive. And it will tell you of the importance of forgiveness. Some of you are stuck right now. Some of you are stuck right now and you would be unstuck if you would ask yourself one question. Who do I need to forgive? Who am I mad at? Who am I holding an offense towards? And, and if you would just make the simple choice of, okay, God, I'm going to agree with you Instead of fighting for my right to be mad, I'm going to agree with you and say, you know what? I need to forgive. And I'm going to forgive them the way you forgave me. And you would find yourself moving so quickly out of that stuck spot. Read the Bible and do what it says. It'll change you incredibly and quickly. Second thing that they found produced fruit across the board. Everybody in the study who did this, it produced fruit in them, inside and out. You're gonna think I'm lying. I'm not lying. Going to church. <laughs> I mean, how crazy. Who knew that we were supposed to go to church? Who knew that that was actually good for you? When I was a kid, I knew how many light fixtures there were on the ceiling and how many light bulbs there were in each fixture. That's how engaged I was in the building. But when I met him, 
Church changed. Going to church. We have let culture and we have let COVID steal from us something that is precious. Being together. Being together as a body of Christ, worshiping together, learning together. Hebrews says, let me, let me just read Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. According to Hebrews, as we get closer and closer to his return, we should be gathering more, not less. And yet, 50 years ago, Regular church attendance was considered four or five times a week. Yeah. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then some other kind of small group. That's just what we did. Now, regular church attendance is once or twice a month. Once or twice a month. That's regular. Well, there's some problems with regular, so let's, let's change that. Let's not say attend worship regularly because you could, you know, if you attend worship once a year, that's regular, right? If you double it up, you do Christmas and Easter, um, <laughs> then that's regular. Let's say attend worship frequently. I'm telling you, it will change you. Why? Well, because we need each other. We're better together than we are by ourselves. You need me, I need you. I will encourage you to do good works. You will encourage me to do good works. I will correct you, you will correct me. That's what we need. We sharpen each other when we're together. If you are by yourself, you can walk for a really long time in the wrong direction and not know it. But if you're with others, they'll point it out to you. You might hate it, but you need it. It works. It helps. Attending worship frequently produces fruit. Crazy, isn't it? It produces fruit inside and out. Being with other believers. Why? Because of what Hebrews says. Let's encourage each other to do good things. Let's encourage each other to believe things. When you come together with the body of Christ, you're reminded of what you're supposed to be about. You may drift during the week. Work is hard and life is busy and the kids are acting crazy. And you may get distracted. You may drift for a minute. Then you come back into church and you worship with your friends and, and you're reminded there's more to life. There's more to life than just going to work and coming home and watching Jeopardy and going to bed. There's more to life than that. God has called you to something. Yeah, he's put you on this earth to do something and to be something. He's put you on the earth to know him and make him known. And we remind each other of that. 
when we come together. You know what the third thing is? So, read the Bible, do what it says. Attend worship frequently. And third, join a small group. Get in a small group. Some of us hate small groups. You know why we hate small groups? Because you can't get away with anything in a small group. They get in your business. And you know why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hold each other accountable. We're supposed to ask each other the hard questions. We're supposed to speak life into each other. We're supposed to be there for each other. We're supposed to live life together. You come to church on Sunday morning. Guess who's doing all the talking today? Me. You know, me and Bonnie. <laughs> you know, it, it's better. This is, this is important. And there are opportunities for you to get involved. You know, we're going to have prayer time in a minute, and you'll have a chance to come and be prayed for, and we'll have prayer teams who have been trained, and they love to pray for people, and that's, that's awesome. We've had a band up here leading us in worship, and they've, you know, they've done their thing. We've got uh, people out here after the service are going to be doing join a team, and you can join a team where you can serve. We've got greeters out here. There are opportunities for you to do things on Sunday morning. But it's limited how much you can share and use the gifts that God has given you. But in a small group, that just opens up. In a small group, you're sitting in a house with eight or ten people. You have the gift of prophecy. You can prophesy over every person in your group. It'd be hard for you to do that in a group this size. In a small group, you can do that. If you have the gift of intercession, you can pray for every person in your group. If you have the gift of teaching, y'all can take turns teaching. Whatever your gift is, if you have the gift of hospitality, you can host the group at your house. There are just different ways that you can use your gifts that will bring increase in your life, in you, and through you. It's crazy. This is simple stuff. I'm telling you, I I know it's not the kind of stuff that's going to make you just run for the door and, and say, boy, I'm changing the world this week. But I promise you this, if you give yourself to reading the Bible frequently, believing it and doing what it says, you actually, if you do that, you won't even have to think about number two and number three because you'll just do them. You'll do them. If you, if you read the Bible and do what it says, two and three will follow. But, but just for the sake of today, if you read the Bible and do what it says, if you attend church frequently, and if you get into a small group of believers who will encourage you, hold you accountable, live life with you, I can promise you, a year from now, you'll look back and go, wow. Wow. I never knew my life could have fruit like that, like that. You know, I want to leave you with some questions today, three questions as we move into our time of ministry. Number one is, are you connected? Because really, all of this is about being connected. Nothing happens. Jesus said it pretty clearly, abide in me, be connected to me, and these things can happen. If you're not connected to me, these things are not going to happen. Fruit, fruit's not coming. Fruit is not coming unless you're connected. 
So the first question is, are you connected? Would you say, I know I'm connected to Jesus. I, just, I feel connected to Jesus. Number two, are you increasing? Are you increasing? Would you say, I, I am increasing in the things of God. I'm growing in intimacy with Jesus. I feel like I know him more now than I did a year ago. Are you increasing? In, in our house, we have a saying, you're either intentionally increasing or unintentionally decreasing. Are you increasing? And then third, are you producing? Are you producing? Are you connected? Are you increasing? Are you producing? Can you look at your life and say, there's fruit here. There's fruit. And it's fruit that remains. God is changing me. He's changing my character. I'm a better person than I was a year ago. And also, people are following me. I'm producing fruit out there. I'm having an impact. I'm having influence on other people. Neighbors, and people I work with, family members. Is there fruit? Jesus said there would be fruit if you were connected. If you don't see fruit, circle back to question number one. Am I connected? Are you connected? Are you increasing? Are you producing? All right, let's pray.